Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The biggest productivity loss I think we suffer is when we're not actually making the choices and showing up in a way that supports our intention. So if we can really get clear on what I call lifetime management instead of time management, it's really understanding how to sculpt a fulfilling life. So that's that's a really beautiful place to start. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we teach you how to retain talent and improve culture and communication so you have happier more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with Claire Kumar, productivity catalyst and highly sensitive executive coach and speaker who helps professionals improve productivity and well-being while avoiding exhaustion and burnout. Claire, it is so great to have you on the podcast. And also, you are a podcaster yourself at the Happy Space Podcast, which I'm going to definitely want to talk to you about too. So thanks for being here. Oh, it's a treat to spend time with you, Dave. Yeah. So I always like to start these things with my question, which is what's the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh, I love that question. (laughs) Um, You know, I I have to send some love to my partner, Jacques, who just left. Mm. He is doing nice things for me every day. And uh, he's a man who's got empathy as a key ingredient in, in who he is. And he's just, he's just ever thoughtful. And so I'm blessed to have invited that quality relationship into my life, celebrating three and a half years together. Yeah. And that is, that is, that is it. It's small, small daily gestures. I just came from the bedroom. He's someone who works, um, 50% of the time he's working night shifts, 50% of the time day shifts. So he's just left after spend, um, recovering from a night shift mm. 
And the way he made the bed for me, because he knows I appreciate a made bed, <laughs> this is this is such a small thing, but it's an act of love and kindness. I really appreciate. That's awesome. I have done uh, I have done the night shift before, uh, mm. and it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. When I did it, uh, I was working at a. Uh, I mean, it was a, uh, a while back, but it was at a uh, backpacker hostel uh, in Toronto. Uh, oh. and, uh, yeah. And I was the night guy. So like when I got home though, I had my blinds kind of taped to the wall, <laughs> taped mm-hmm. to the wall. Mm-hmm. So it would be completely blacked out and I would get home and eat like a ridiculously huge breakfast of like bad things like bacon and sausage and all the things. And then I would crash all day and wake yeah. up and do the same. But it, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging for sure. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But your body clock, um, it, it, it needs these cues and food is one of them. So you, ha- you have to, you have to feed it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I've learned a lot since then. Like, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. not bacon and sausage is probably a good start. <laughs> 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 so we're kicking off the year here, uh, which is fun that we're, we're speaking today, you know, at the beginning of January, the beginning of a fresh new year. And, uh, and I've been excited to speak with you for a while and, and and have you on the show and maybe share some ideas around fresh starts and, and uh, you know, the new year and resolutions and goals and all that good stuff. So definitely some, some of the stuff I wanted to talk about today. Do, are, are you – tell me a little bit about your own uh, – uh, I almost – you know, it's funny as a Canadian living in the States – talking to another Canadian, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always like mindful of like, I almost said process. Tell me about your process <laughs> for uh, embarking in a new year. Oh, I love that. And it's interesting because as an organizing and productivity professional, it, you know, the new year's resolution around, oh my gosh, I'm going to get organized finally was something I've talked about for years, but I don't cling to I, uh, the new year as the only time that we really need to think about the way we want to intentionally live. Right. I think it can start any day. And I like to open that up. I mean, we, we do have, I think humans have this sense of because the seasons cycle around every year, we have these points in the year, which are really provocative for that. So September with a fresh, you know, start to the school year for many people, mm. it's, it's this sense of newness and again, in January, there's this, this sense of, okay, we're kissing 2022 goodbye and opening to new possibility. I mean, given the last few years, I'm not sure what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like to think of intentional living can begin at any point in time. Mm. And our, our continued journey of learning is ongoing. So whenever we can anchor into, wow, it's this continuous refinement process to life. So whatever that looks like, I think be open to embracing it and just continually to refine the choices you know, whether it's be bacon and sausage or whether it's <laughs> something, something else. Tell me a little bit more about that, like the intentional living. Like, what are some good ways for, you know, leaders of organizations? And it doesn't have to be business related necessarily, but, you know, typically leaders have a lot on their shoulders, uh, you mm. know, running a business, but individuals, you know, it doesn't really matter where you are. Uh, tell me a little bit about intentional living. What are some tips there? Sure, sure. Well, as I teach and think about productivity, I, I 
broken it into a model I call productivity CPR. Mm -hmm. And there are elements to intentional living throughout. But the first part, uh, the C stands for compass, which is around setting intention. And the biggest productivity loss I think we suffer is when we're not actually making the choices and showing up in a way that supports our intention. So if we can really get clear on what I call lifetime management instead of time management, it's really understanding how to sculpt a fulfilling life. So that's that's a really beautiful place to start. And I take clients through a model where we look at six different areas and it's anything from purpose. You know, how are you showing up? using your skills in service of others, whether it's work or volunteering or even your education, that might be a big part of your purpose um, at some point in time. It's your lifestyle. What does that mean? How, how do you live? Where do you live? How do you spend your time? How do you fund that? Um, it's looking at wellness, um, emotional, psychological, um, mental, physical, all of the, the wellness components of life to, to understand how that happens. Our relationships, our ongoing development, and one that's often overlooked, and I know this appeals to you because you value humor, and so do I, yeah. uh, our sense of play. And mm-hmm. I, I would say that intentionality around play is really critical for adults to reconnect to. A lot of us think it's over when we're, where we're finished, you know, growing into adults, but it's really something that we want to devote attention to. So that was, that was the C intention setting part. There's also sort of drawing on my biology degree and a sense of wellness and also motivated because of a personal experience with an autoimmune issue. I discovered, Oh, it's 10 years now. Uh, Mm. I needed to really understand the science behind human physiology and well-being. And I now have eight essentials for staying, keeping your performance up. And I talk about those in all my leadership workshops, actually, Mm. because some of it we know. We know uh, something about fuel and feeding ourselves. We know that sleep is important, but gee, how much and how should I navigate that? But we don't often talk about our light our need for social connection, the importance that ergonomics play, and uh, managing our attention. So there's a number of different ingredients there that we have to understand. Once we understand those, we can come up with what I call personal policies Mm -hmm. for how we're going to set ourselves up for success, boundaries, boundaries we're going to gracefully defend, and, and we can honor these intentions, these personal policies, for making sure we can sustain our performance and really, really, truly avoid that path to burnout. And so you mentioned it was, was it CPR or CTR? CPR. Okay. So it's this intervention, you yeah. know, with this yeah, drastic intervention, right? To say, wait, wait, you're concerned about productivity. Everybody's concerned about productivity, but wait a second. It's compass, performance, and rituals. So it's intention setting, attention management through wellness, and then optimizing execution. And that's where the productivity nerd in me will talk about to-do lists and calendar management and, you know, setting yourself um, up with pay-it-forward activities, things like that. Oh, I love that. What are some pay-it-forward activities that you you practice? And I'm a big proponent of that idea. I, um, as you know, I think I wrote a book a few years ago called New Business Networking, and, and I'm a big 
uh, one of my keynotes is called networking night for nice people. And it's all about, <laughs> you know, how to network nicely. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. It's thinking about what can you do to make your future self thankful, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it might be simple, simple example. And this is a real life example. When you're, when you're parking, do you reverse into that spot that's going to be difficult to leave? Because you're forward thinking to how am I going to have an easier time of it afterwards? Do you, do you talk about, do you set an agenda for a meeting? So, you know, so everybody understands why you're there. Do you talk about this is a meeting that uh, we're going to invite you to have your camera on, for example, so that expectations are set Mm. and that people are prepared and know that bedhead may not be the option for that meeting. (laughs) You know, it's 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 really embedding this kind of thinking, which honestly takes a little more time. So, you know, we need to we need to think about carving out time for setting this attention intention and communicating it and thereby uh, paving a smoother experience and doing so our meeting should be more effective, our day should run more smoothly and mm. we'll end up actually saving time, but we have to think about putting it up front. Yeah, no, that's great. And as far as playing goes, you mentioned that earlier. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you play and how you maybe inspire leaders to, to, to tap into that play. Yeah, great one. I mean, one of my hobbies is uh, a bit on hold because of the pandemic, although it's, I suppose I, I sing for myself now rather than being a part of a band and playing for our friends and getting everybody up dancing, which was oh, nice. what I, I love. I love to do. Now I, I, I still sing, but I sing for myself. And I'm hoping that 2023 will bring some performance back. I sing sometimes in my podcast. <laughs> and I kind of throw it in when I can. Um, one of the things I want to do, and you will probably have a lot more experience with this than I do is uh, on my list for 2020 was exploring improv. Ah, and yeah. so, yeah, like I, I am not someone who can tell jokes successfully, but in a group of people, I love stimulating laughter. Mm. And so I'm thinking there's some, some crafting of an experience there. Maybe improv is it where I get to bounce off other people and inject humor. Maybe, maybe there's something there for me to play with. I love that. Yeah. So one of my keynotes that I do is called the master communicator's secret weapon. And the reveal is that secret weapon is improv. And so I share my, my, what I've learned, uh, studying improv with, in Toronto at second city and then performing improv over the years in different troops in Ireland and Scotland and in in the U S of course, and, and how there are key takeaways that I teach from improv, my secret weapon that you can apply to how you communicate with others. And, and, and with the caveat that you don't actually have to do improv. Cause when I, when I speak to an audience, uh, you know, some people are, are petrified. They're like, Oh my God, he's going to make me do improv. And, and it's not that. Uh, but I do give, uh, key takeaways from that. And I love the fact that you, you are thinking about, uh, embarking on that. And, you know, there's musical improv too, by the way. And you don't actually have to be. Uh, a good singer, although, you know, that helps. <laughs> well, now that sounds super fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm always connecting to songs, but I do have to say I'm a bit 
terrible at memorizing lyrics. So when well, I think we had 28 songs in the last show that we did. Yeah. And I really worked hard to not use an iPad for any lyrics. Right. There. Well, that's so, the, yeah. that's the beauty of improv, right? You're making right? up the lyrics as you go. So you don't have to remember any lyrics. Maybe that's why I like it. Yeah. I like the idea. Yeah. It actually takes some pressure off. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so, and I, so from your singing uh, experience and, and doing that, is that where you, I'm curious about the connection uh, between John Robert Rowland's uh, uh, image or photo of David Bowie and his Archer image. Uh, yeah. Tell me, I, I I know that's something that that you've posted on uh, social before. Tell me about that significance of that. And that, for folks listening, I'll include a link to that image in the show notes so you can check out that picture of David Bowie performing at Maple Leaf Gardens. I might, mm-hmm. I might add. Tell me a little bit about that and how that. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love that you brought up David Bowie. I, um, he's all over my place. Um, mm. since, since I was a teenager, um, at university and had posters all over my wall. Now I have framed, framed Bowie pieces and my mom even put together in the UK, they had a, I think a six stamp collection of his albums oh, wow. that came out and she framed that for my for my birthday one year, which That's is amazing. A, it's a treasure on my wall. Yeah. Uh, I think. I've respected David so much for his endless creativity. Mm. But as I watched, you know, appearances interviewing MTV way back Mm. and talking about the lack of exposure for black artists and his way of questioning an inquiry that was respectful, but really did not shy away from asking big questions, um, his his openness to accept and invite people to be who they really are. Mm -hmm. Um, his, his experimentation as, as a lyricist, um, inventing the verbalizer to come up with new ways of putting ideas together because gosh, after, I don't know how many albums he was a little bit stumped at what his next creative prompt would be. Yeah. And also being at the forefront of business, looking at the internet and saying, wow, you know, there's, there's a new medium and methodology here and I'm going to be I'm going to learn what it is and, and push that envelope too. So I think there's, there's so many levels of his profound impact in the world and his legacy, which I'm, I'm, I mean, I feel privileged that I can listen to any one of, I don't know, hundreds of tracks, Mm -hmm. um, at, uh, you know, on my fingertips at any time and really celebrate I think he was a genius and um, a remarkable human that obviously came through a lot personally mm-hmm. in his journey. But um, but what a what a soul, what a magical soul, what a, what a loss we suffered in 2016. Yeah, I believe he he might have been the person that introduced. Speaking of of you know uh, uh, shedding a light on black artists so early on, uh, I believe I learned about Sister Rosetta Th- uh, Tharp from David Bowie back in the day, like she was really the, like kind of the inventor of rock and roll that so many are not familiar with. And she's awesome. Like looking her up on YouTube is just, she's so great. So Mm. I might've learned about her from, from David Bowie. Yeah. He was steeped in, in that, or that art and music and uh, was just sort of saying, Hey, I'm seeing like, why are you not uh, celebrating this and, and sharing it with everyone? So what a poignant interview that was. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like, how do you, 
uh, work with leaders of organizations? What does that type mm-hmm. of engagement look like? How does how does that work? Yeah, so it's in a couple of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, often I'm doing work as a one-on-one exploration through coaching. And there's an opportunity in that kind of forum to really be just so present with an individual to really meet them where they are. And I always say I'm, you know, I don't know what the vision is. That's that person's vision, but I'm the hand at their back as we go forward together in a supported way and explore it mm. and see where it needs to come to. Um, a lot of times there's an interest in boosting performance, sometimes in making career choices. You know, there's, there's so much pressure I find in many industries, education, technology, healthcare, so many verticals where we're in a culture of overwork and not finding ways to, you know, identify those boundaries, know what those personal policies are and play that graceful defense I was mentioning. And I found a couple of things in work with individuals. Um, one is, you know, getting so in touch with what do you need as a human animal to, to take care of yourself. But on the productivity side, which is, which is kind of interesting is that None of us were really ever taught this is how to be most productive. We've mm. picked things up over the years, right? If we've been interested or if, if we've had great role models, if we haven't, then maybe we haven't picked up these ways of being that can really help us be most effective. And if we haven't picked them up, we're second guessing our productivity all the time. Right. And when we're pressured to do more, we don't really have the information or the confidence to say, oh, my cup is full, I can't possibly spin another plate. So we don't have anything to anchor in defense. And so one of the most profound things I've been able to do is connect people to their capacity, yeah. more specifically, and help them find that voice to articulate, gosh, you know, this, th- this is what's on my plate. And you know, and build the skills to be managing it well, so that they can actually say, I can't possibly take this on unless something else comes off. And should we have a conversation about that? Yeah, I love it. Actually, you said, I want to go from saying yes to too many projects or projects to saying Mm -hmm. yes to only the projects that excite me. Uh, In Jeff Shaw's book, The Self-Employed Life, I remember that quote. And, yeah. and Jeff was also a guest on the nice podcast a while back too. Um, so yeah, like how do you help leaders, uh, not say yes to too many things or to decide on mm. what they should say yes to? My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. 
Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I think it's the hardest thing. Mm. It's and, 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 I, and I bring up the story of, of my daughter when she was nine um, pardon me, nine years old, and she was invited to two birthday parties on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. And I said to my daughter, I said, this is an example of the hardest decisions you'll you'll likely have to face. It's when you want to do so many things and they're all good things. And uh, I think one of the one of the most profound invitations I make to people is to tune in before you lean in. And that requires some stillness. And tapping into intuition, listening to what your body, mind, spirit is saying to you when you ask yourself a question, when you invite yourself to ponder something. So that tuning in before you lean in is so critical. And a lot of times in our culture, we're not inviting that pause in. We are responding, firefighting every day. And if we can embed some pause time to bring in that intentional feeling, the answers will become more clear, but we have to be able to stop and listen to it. I think that's that's doing it on your own. I do believe in, and I just came from working with um, a business coach who I've just recently engaged with, mm. and what a treat it is to be able to work with someone with whom you can speak your ideas if only to listen to them being articulated in a different way. And then you can often, you can often find your own path, but with the help of a supportive coach or sounding board colleague, someone who is non-judgmental and is there to really serve you getting at clarity. Yeah, that's helpful. I, I, I actually just, it's interesting about slowing down, uh, I think, you know, you touched on that and I think that's such an important point. I, um, I, I, I just wrote a blog post about this. I, I'll share it with you because I think it resonates, especially with kids. Um, I, uh, during, uh, I guess it was probably last year, there was a great park, uh, called Radnor Lake, which is really a really beautiful park around Nashville. Uh, you know, something probably, you know, like hot, like, uh, uh, I can't, I'm totally drawing a blank on the name. What's the name of the high park in Toronto? High park in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, It's kind of like that um, in a way. But anyway, I would take my kids who are now 16 and 17 to that park all the time when they were little. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it was a beautiful day in the fall. And I was there just on a hike myself, just to kind of get out of the house and clear my head. And I got, I saw all these parents with their little kids and they were all, you know, running around doing their thing. And I started feeling really sad and really lonely and just kind of bummed that our kids are now, you know, older teenagers who, you know, (laughs) are doing their own thing and, and don't really want to do that so much anymore. Mm. And as I was doing that now, this was kind of, uh, after I've been exploring a lot around meditation and mindfulness. And I realized that I needed to like change my, my, my thinking here. Mm -hmm. And, and I realized like in the moment, I'm like, no, like I'm not, I'm not sad. I should be joyful and happy because I have these memories of taking the kids here and, and doing Mm -hmm. this with them where a lot of parents don't do that or neglect the kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I have all these great memories and the kids like going out in the woods and hiking and camping and things like that now. So Mm -hmm. 
I changed my mood right away, but it took me a minute to kind of slow down and think and kind of assess the thought and realize like, no, wait a minute. I should be happy for these parents that are, you know, have their kids running around and, and I should be feeling good about this instead of depressed or sad about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of Susan Cain's book, Bittersweet, which came out in April. Mm. And this, so it's the same situation, but there are two pieces to it. One is the lament around what's no longer. And then there's the appreciation of what there actually is. And uh, to yeah. end on the sweetness is, is maybe why bittersweet is better, is not sweet bitter. So <laughs> I, think, I think, I think there's something to that progression of thought. Yeah. Have you experienced something similar? I know your kids are now what, 19 and 21. Is that right? That is right. Yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's, it, I think, you know what? The coach training that I went through in 2015, 2016 was probably the most profound shift for me. And it's, there's, there's numerous things about it, but one is staying in, in curiosity. So not being so attached to a prescribed line of thought or expectation. And I continually have to remind myself to go back to curiosity, but it's, but it's also this, um, this approach to stay curious with others and with that line of inquiry and appreciation an sense of experimentation, there's always a sense of possibility. Hmm. And so even if something is difficult, then I, I, I always, I'm relentlessly uh, hopeful, relentlessly optimistic. I think that's just a way I'm wired, which, which serves me well. Yeah. But you bring curiosity to that and add a dash of patience. And even if something's difficult now, there's, uh, there's a sense that things will, Things will right themselves. Things will balance. Things will progress to to a better place. Do you know Karen Ward? I don't. No. Ah, you should look her up. She's great. Um, she's a coach who uh, worked with me a number of years ago on some stuff. But she's based in Montreal. Um, and mm. you're are you from Montreal originally? No, but I spent six uh, and a bit delightful years in Montreal, and and I'm. Just finished on the, my last interview saying I cried for three months when I knew I had to leave Montreal. <laughs> I love it. I it's loved a, it there. Yeah, it's a special city. My dad my dad was born in Quebec City and raised in Montreal. So I have family in Montreal and spent a lot of time there. Um, yeah. But Karen, uh, I brought her up because she uh, a big focus of her work is uh, curiosity. Uh, and so she, and, and you mentioned working with a coach. So I was thinking, oh, I wonder if it was Karen that you were working with. <laughs> oh, no, it sounds, it sounds fascinating. Yeah. Curiosity, I think it stops you from getting defensive. So you can anchor in what's important to you. But if you stay curious, you'll stay listening mm. and you'll be, especially in divisive times, you'll, you'll say, gosh, I wonder what they're saying on this news channel. And I wonder what this perspective is. And you'll want to keep learning and listening to diverse views, which should help insulate you from becoming too myopic and close-minded in your thinking, which I think is going to be something that humanity will benefit from. Oh, God, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Adam Grant's work. Uh, mm -hmm. He's got an excellent book uh, that I highly recommend called Think Again, mm -hmm. um, which uh, which is fantastic. And it really does help with re rethinking your perspectives on things and your thoughts on things, but also how to deal with people with opposing points of view, which um, God knows we all need to be better at 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 and I, I've heard stories where you, you know, there have been people sitting down and they're absolutely diametrically opposed, but through conversation, really come to appreciate each other's lens. And I think that's that's key. I don't know of anybody that's hundred percent wrong or hundred percent right. So yeah, <laughs> it's worth, yeah, it's worth exploring. Another book I recommend on that is uh, How Minds Change by David McRaney, uh, who also has a great podcast. One of my favorites, actually. It's called You Are Not So Smart. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you checked out his work at all? I have not, but I like the title right off because. I think David McRaney, yeah, How Minds Change, um, a book about the science and the experience of transformation. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think it's paramount to look at influence and how how do we change our own mind? Yeah. (laughs) It's probably the big question sometimes when, especially if we want to adopt new practices or new ways of being, new behaviors, then how do we sell something to ourselves? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so you you do a lot of work in the space around highly sensitive uh, high sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard you say that seventy percent of introverts lean more highly sensitive, where thirty percent of extroverts also lead more highly sensitive. So how are you know being being an empathetic leader and approaching leadership this way? How do we approach highly sensitive people on our teams and and even uh, maybe approaching interactions with our colleagues when we ourselves might identify as more highly sensitive? Mm, A great, great question. I I think, first of all, it comes down to understanding the trait a little more deeply. So this is a trait that recently, um, the, the research that I've seen shows it to be about one in five people that are genetically wired to be more sensitive. Mm. And sensitivity, I've, I've sort of reworked, uh, Dr. Elaine Aaron, who is the psychologist who really identified the trait in the late nineties and hold utmost respect for her work. But I've reorganized what she's observed to be the traits. Um, and I'll just outline it real quick. It's, I use the seed model and the seed model is to imply that, you know, you've got everything you need in you and it's about nourishing what you have to, to grow. And seed stands for sensitivity to stimulation. So we know that our nervous systems are always on. We're that meerkat standing on its hind legs, smelling, sensing, looking, right. and and watching what's going on. We have high empathy. The first D is empathy. The second D is emotional responsiveness. So we will react more emotionally. And, and as you can imagine, with each of these traits, actually, there are strengths and there are struggles. And emotional responsiveness could be, you know, we're not uh, well rested, we're not well fed, we're, we're cold or where our body is physi- physiologically understressed, we might unleash some emotion rather than thoughtfully expressing ourselves <laughs> in, right. in a moment. And the D in seed is depth of processing. And the depth of processing is around the fact that our brain is really wired to light up like crazy when we get a new thought. So you were just connecting, you know, uh, curiosity and the coach Karen and your brain was working at connecting these things. Well, highly sensitive people, absolutely incredible depth of processing, also very connected to creativity. So you'll find a lot of people in the artistic community you can just you can kind of start to figure out who the highly sensitive people are when you look for 
for the strengths in particular. The, the challenge in our society is that we often equate non-genetic sensitivity with being, you know, neurotic, demanding, easily upset. And it may be us at our, you know, in those moments where we're not grounded and centered and well cared for, it may be in those moments where we haven't slept well, we're under pressure, under deadline, and our reactions might be um, less than desirable. Mm. Um, but I think if we understand the trait of sensitivity and expand the concept a little bit to be also perceptive, also responsive, then we'll start to look at these people and, and say, gosh, uh, I would really like to have highly sensitive people in leadership. You know, I just mentioned before we started, I, I just interviewed Tom Peters and our closing conversation was really about, okay, Tom, I think you're sensitive. And yes, he's, he's agreed. And recognizing that a book, he celebrates Susan Cain's book, Quiet, all around introversion. And I said, well, my hypothesis is it's it's not just the introvert quality that leads to thoughtfulness. It's actually the trait of sensitivity, mm. which is there and sometimes expressed through introversion, sometimes through extroversion. But if we look for our sensitive leaders who are just stacked with empathy, and this often is expressed through compassionate acts, that's the kind of person we actually want to have in leadership we need to make sure, though, that the environment isn't toxic and we're not, instead of inviting this rich contribution, inviting um, more of a need to either burn out or opt out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. It's a good, it's such a good point. And you raised, you know, talking about like Susan Cain's work and uh, introversion and extroversion and, and you know, it. it it got me thinking about how, especially during the pandemic, like kind of peak pandemic where we were all kind of hunkered down. Um, you know, I'm much more extroverted. My wife is much more introverted. Um, and so it was an interesting kind of ca counterplay there where, you know, she's ready for some downtime and quiet. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> you know, uh, so it's it, it's interesting. And, and in running my own events over the years, that's something that I really had to tap into in being more empathetic and, and considering that other people, you know, introverts want to attend events as well. They just maybe don't right. want to be there all night or they don't want to talk to a thousand people. Um, but they, I mean, introverts want to be there too. So it's, it's right? organizing events and, and keeping that in mind. So it's interesting. Well, I'm connecting the dots to my recent foray to Nashville, which did not go well because oh. I came down for our NSA's influence conference. Right. And in the summer and, um, the Gaylord Opryland hotel. Have mm. you been there? Oh, yeah. Okay. So imagine someone who likes peace walking into that. I could like just to check in, we had to shout at the attendants because there are three story waterfalls yeah. in an enclosed atrium with piped music over the top of that, yeah. it was, you know, 75 to 80 decibels of noise mm. that was 24-7. And I quickly realized I wanted to be at that event so bad. I had numerous friends speaking on stage and that I hoped, you know, wanted to connect with in person. I lasted a night. I said, I can't stay here because there was no what I call a pocket of peace. There was no, the, we changed the room three times to be able to, we still couldn't find one that was quiet. Wow. 
So yeah, we need to have options for sensitive people, neurodivergent people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I talk about sensitivity plus because we've got the genetic wiring. We also have huge numbers of people suffering PTSD. Mm. Anxiety is off the charts right now. Um, it's at record levels after going through two and a half years of the pandemic and then entering a war situation, um, thankfully remotely for most of us here in North America. Um, climate crisis. There are a lot of not the small stuff challenges happening right now and inflation. Yep. There's a, there's a lot of, um, real serious concerns out there that we're sweating. And that is all leading to greater sensitivity. We're not feeling safe. We, we're not feeling rested. We're still, we're being told to get our butts back into the office and just carve out the time that we used to, to be, um, and that we've given somewhat back to work. And now just, you know, figure out how to get back in the office and do everything. Um, again, it's, there's a lot of big asks on the table. What are some ways to deal with that anxiety that you've found that you recommend? Oh, love that question. Uh, I think the first thing, especially for, for highly sensitive people, the first step is to notice, right? Is to stay in that place of noticing, oh gosh, I'm feeling anxious. The second thing is to take care of this nervous system. So a physiological solutions for anxiety and stress and anger, all of it, it's to connect to the breath. It may be to change perspective. Forward folds, yoga forward folds are amazing. Mm. Um, anything to, to soothe the vagus nerve and in, in reactivate the sympathetic, um, the, the, the parasympathetic nervous system. So we're actually calming the body. Only then when we give our amygdala a hug, mm. can we then start to bring in that prefrontal cortex. So it's notice it calm the nervous system. If we can actually name the emotion that what, what we're feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm recognized this as anxiety. I know where it shows up in my body. I can name it. That act alone actually calms the amygdala. Mm -hmm. And then we can get into nurturing a thoughtful response. And hopefully we're not under pressure for it's continued to be under pressure. It's very, very difficult because the amygdala is still firing. All the, all the stress hormones are still circulating in the body. Mm. And, you know, sometimes removing ourselves from a situation. I mean, I really think about Will Smith at, um, and Chris Rock last year, mm. right? This was a moment of a, a clearly peak level winning the Oscar. And then, crashing but how much was going through his system there was i don't think an ability there to calm that nervous system mm. and thoughtfully respond that's the part that was missing in that moment yeah chris rock handled it swimmingly he was so great mm -hmm. like in his composure just regaining his composure and not mm -hmm. you know like if anything you, you know you're, you the way you're describing that and and will smith's actions I would say Chris Rock is the opposite, right? Where he handled it perfectly. He he contained himself. And maybe that's his experiences as a stand-up comic where you're on stage in the in the, you know, in the moment. Maybe his improbability. And, and improv. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. responding instantly. Yeah. It's being able to like think fast enough to be able to react or not react in that case, really. Um well, and I think more people could benefit from that kind of learning and, and what you're describing there. Yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, I think having a go-to, oh my gosh, I'm noticing it. Here's what I do. Having that, the next steps. I'm, I think back to um, 2010, I was actually in a car accident where somebody turned left in front of me. Ugh. And um, I couldn't see them. They came through a line of stopped cars. Mm. And I was shaking after that. And I could not think, call your insurance company. Like, yeah. there's a tow truck here. Maybe I should go with them. No, you right. should not go with them. Right. But we, we, our ability to, to think clearly really shuts down if we're emotionally triggered. If our, you know, and so if we feel like we're under threat, we, we need to invoke help. And this is, this is one of the things I, I, I love to talk about when I get the chance is being brave enough to, to pay attention to what's going out and stand in for somebody who might be under threat, who might mm. be feeling under threat because they cannot be expected to self advocate with the same articulate expression that they normally might be able to. This is one of the, one of the things I'm, um, exploring as well as, you know, universities expect many of them expect their neurodivergent students to fully self-advocate. And mom and dad, you're no longer invited to a conversation. Your 18-year-old son or daughter needs to find all the words. And there are HB art articles about how people, grown adults at work, cannot find the voice to self-advocate. So we're not acting compassionately if we don't for a second, put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, carry the shame of having a non-acceptable brain, a neurodivergent way of thinking that isn't the norm, that isn't being celebrated, and expecting articulate uh, self-advocacy. Mm. As leaders, what I, what I love to suggest is um, coming from work, uh, looking at inclusivity around disability, the beautiful question you can ask a team member, an employee who might be struggling is, gosh, what do you need to succeed? How can I support you? What do you need to succeed? It doesn't cross any privacy issues. It is an invitation for a conversation to start. And then I blew out ask into the ask model. Mm -hmm. And ask is about stepping deeper into that curiosity I was mentioning at first. Mm -hmm. And the A is to anticipate the challenges someone might be experiencing. So let's say just have, you have an employee who's just had a newborn. Well, we all know that sleep is, you know, is, <laughs> is kind of a dream in those days. Yeah. Well, what, what support might somebody need given what you know? S is to suggest solutions you're already aware of. Like be generous. Say, Oh my gosh, I, I know that you had a, you know, you had a car accident last year. How's your back? It, it, maybe a standing desk is going to be a solution that is now on the table as I think it should be in all offices. I just heard Tim Cook, um, in an inf- interview saying they've given everybody sit stand desks. I do think mm-hmm. it's actually inhumane to expect people to sit for eight hours straight. Yeah. <laughs> so anticipate, suggest solutions. There's a little plug for, for, for mobility at work. And then K is, here's the invitation I have to you as leaders is commit to better knowing your employees. So stay in that curiosity and really commit to better knowing and understanding because then if you can understand, or as Tom Peter says, walk in another person's shoes, mm-hmm. You're going to be, it's going to be harder for you to hold on to assumptions and biases that no longer apply. 
Yeah, no, that's all brilliant. I think, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It, it, I think just learning to handle people, uh, different people with different backgrounds and, and different psychological makeups and all the different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can become so much of a better leader. This is why like empathy is such a big part of my nice method and working with leaders too. I mean, I think this is just such a key key thing. Do you think you learned some some of uh some empathy from being uh, a server? I'm curious about this because uh, I know you were a server early on and I am also a quote unquote recovering server. Both my wife and I are. Uh uh-huh. Tell me what are your thoughts there? And by server, you're meaning in a restaurant delivering yes, yeah. delivering food to people. Yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. I loved that job. I think because there was an improv element in it. Yeah. Honestly, right? And uh, there was also a very short time between cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, by changing the mood and environment for someone. They were in my care yeah. for the time that I was there to look after them. And food was definitely part of the experience. And as a team, we worked together to bring that whole experience there. But they were in my care. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably the first job where I really sensed some ownership over it. I think before that, I had worked in um, retail and it wasn't quite the same depth. There's something about food and human connection, which I think we ought to acknowledge whenever we're asking people to come together in the work office. There better be a good food component because it changes everything. And, yeah. and our humanity is right on display around the table. So I, I think there was probably a deepening of understanding of my relationship and impact on others that However, I greeted the table and what I brought to that table could totally lift or bring down what was going on there. Mm -hmm. And I would look at it as an opportunity to have people completely turn around from, okay, can we be out in an hour and 15 minutes? we got a meeting to get to, to a big exhale, a moment of exhale. Yeah. And enjoying the time and connection they had. So I think that was part of it. But my biggest role model of compassion was actually my dad, Mm. um, who I really, he was a doctor and a surgeon, and he was an eminently compassionate man. But like, where did he get it from? From his parents or from his work or? (sighs) Maybe his mom. Yeah. Um, I didn't know her. Um, she passed when I was very, very young. Mm. Um, not from his dad, mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah. I think so. There's a genetic wiring. Definitely was highly sensitive. My mom's highly sensitive as well. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a wiring in. And I think he chose a profession in which he was not your typical surgeon. He was your, 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 his humanity was present, present in the way he dealt with everybody. Yeah. And uh, I think it was the way he was wired. And, and certainly there, you know, I'd love to ask him now who taught you compassion, dad. Um, yeah. but I think you, you start to look for examples that resonate with you. And I'm sure he could list many. Well, I think you get that, you know, certainly from your parents, but also, from your own experiences professionally. And I think, uh, you know, getting back to being a server, like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I learned so much about people 
from being from serving them meals like from from and, and to your point like uh, understanding as a speaker like how to read an audience is such an mm. important thing uh, you know and you're you're a spe- keynote speaker as well as I am and but you know how to read that audience it's the same as a server to your point yeah. about whether they're they're in a rush they're in and out, they want to be in and out Okay, no yeah. problem. Or they're maybe tourists visiting the city and they wanted some recommendations of what to do and where to go. And, yeah. you know, I've done that, done that as well. Uh, so yeah, just handling those situations. I always think everybody needs to, to be a server at a restaurant, not retail, God forbid, cause it sucks. <laughs> In my personal humble opinion, uh, my experiences with retail were not nearly as much fun as, uh, as being a server. So I, learned- yeah, I think well, I had more time as a server, right? In yeah, retail, yeah. it was a quicker transaction. So there wasn't as much opportunity to build rapport. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, it was interesting. I, I reflect on it as I think about managing capacity now and, you mm. know, if we're connected back to productivity. And I knew that if I had seven tables, I would rock and roll that seven tables. And it was, it was a sweet spot. Yeah. Um, assuming they weren't two tables of 13, cause then you'd be dead. But, um, seven, <laughs> seven tables was beautiful. Yeah. Eight tables was, uh, oh, one table was uh-oh, yeah. because there wasn't enough stimulation to keep your brain focusing. Yeah. So we, you know, there's a, there's a nice parallel there for leaders who are thinking about workload management mm-hmm. to understand the sweet spot, to understand what allows for breath, for creativity, for better customer responsiveness, what autonomy is going to be required to really let people really connect. Like, yeah. what did I hear at uh, Ritz-Carlton? There's a budget for staff members to spend on making guests happier. There's mm. just a budget that's at their discretion to mm-hmm. use. I'm like, oh, I love it. how brilliant is that? There's yeah. autonomy to actually connect to customer satisfaction. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Right? And, and to, the, to your point about one, uh, one table, by the way, mm. this, this is such an important point. And it's about, it's about like imagine being in an, and I'm totally like, just spitballing here, but imagine being in an airplane and having two, you know, the pilot and the co-pilot and one thinks the other one is flying and the other thinks the other one is flying. That's a (laughs) restaurant. Like if you've ever, and this is for our listeners here, if you've ever been in a restaurant and you're like in, you're the only table in there Mm -hmm. and, and service is super slow and you're like, what the heck is going on here? Why are they so slow? I'm the only one here. You, what's happening is the servers think the other server is ser- taking care of that table. And you realize like, oh, crap, you haven't helped that table yet. Um, tr- that has happened. Uh, it's yeah. possible. Yeah. Or your mind just wanders because there's not enough to hold your attention. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if we anchor in Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's fabulous book, Flow, mm. we have these optimal zones of performance. And if you're procrastinating, it's either too complex or you're bored. So what are you going to do to to invite yourself back to that sweet spot and yeah. then bounce forward, you know? So that one table for sure, I would I would probably just start thinking about other things. <laughs> mm, yeah, right, right. All right, well, to be respectful of your time, I know we're winding things down here. I do want to jump into th- to my lightning round uh mm. series of questions. I promise it'll be quick and painless. So complete this sentence, nice guys and gals finish. Eventually. <laughs> I love it. What is a nice book you recommend to the nice makers listening? 
Oh gosh, uh, a nice book. I'm going to have to say, just to encourage that deeper understanding of sensitivity, read The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine Aaron. Uh, if you want to understand more about that trait, because if you can invite contributions from this set of people, boy, are you going to be impressed. How is Claire nice to herself? Oh, well, you know what? I know more and more about what it takes for me to sustain my energy. And if I can sustain my energy and attention, I can keep giving. Mm -hmm. If I can keep giving, I can keep receiving. So I protect my sleep. I eat really well and I move every day, every single day. There's, we're not designed to sit and do nothing. So those three things, uh, are anchors mm -hmm. as well as a commitment to keep my stress down. So there's, it's, it's really my essentials, but that's, those are the, those are the top ones. Yeah. And we touched on that a little bit here, uh, in the interview. And I do encourage everybody. I, I, I have a resources page. I'll include a link in the show notes. Um, and on that resources page is the standing desk sort of accessory I have that sits on top of my desk and it allows me to be able to stand and work. And as somebody with a terrible back, uh, a lot of back pain, um, standing is, is so helpful. So I do highly recommend that, uh, to everybody. And I will check out, uh, check that out. Uh, okay. And last question. If you had a billboard, what would it say? Well, my license plate says make time. <laughs> nice. So I kind of drive around with that as a billboard. And, and the invitation there is to, to really architect this most precious fleeting resource so that you are really proud of your decisions. That's great. Claire, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you do and uh, check out your content? Oh, thank you. Uh, you can find everything at clairekumar.com. And Claire, I joke, I have no third eye. So it's uh, <laughs> Claire is C-L-A-R-E and Kumar is like Harold and Kumar. Yeah. So you should be able to find that easily. And uh, I would love it if you would, if you're interested in sensitivity and it's actually interesting. I'm, exp I'm expanding the focus of the podcast a little bit to be around designing inclusive performance. So mm -hmm. sensitivity is definitely part of the conversation ongoing, but because of invisible illness, not being, um, widely understood or even spoken about because it's can be hidden. Mm. I, I want to expand the conversation to talk around this invitation to invite more people to make their rich contributions and be more inclusive into design. Beautiful. Well, I will keep, uh, I will include links to everything we talked about so folks can find you, uh, in the show notes here. So just uh, look at your podcast player and click that link and go say hi to Claire. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for being here, Claire. Like this has been such a, a thrill and, and it's been a wonderful way to kind of kick off the year as well. So thank you for your time and insight. For me too, Dave. Love the conversation. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show today. Would you do me a favor? Leave a review. The reviews help us others discover the show and they mean a lot to me. So I would appreciate that. Did you know I am often hired as a keynote speaker for company retreats or for conferences? To find out more about that, you can visit davedelaneyspeaks.com. Music by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. We'll see you next time and be nice.
You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.